0: Hello and welcome to The boss Podcast, episode 150. Wow. I can't believe we're 150 episodes in to the Boss up podcast. This is such an exciting time. Uh, and I hope you've enjoyed the show as much as I've enjoyed creating it. As we reflect on the 150 episodes that have gotten us here thus far, let me know which has stood out most to you. And as always call in your career conundrums or your boss moves to help shape the episodes that come ahead. And thank you for being a loyal listener. If you've listened to this podcast, by the way, for quite a while now and haven't taken the time to review it in Apple Podcasts or leave me some words of hopefully support (laughs) if you love the show as much as I do, now is a great time to do that because your reviews in Apple Podcasts make a huge difference in how many others can discover the show. So thanks in advance to all of you who've shared your reviews in Apple Podcasts or whatever app you're using to listen to this right this very moment. If you haven't yet, Please take a second to go ahead and do so. It means the world to me. Now, today's episode is a really special one. I'm excited to continue showcasing some of the excellent trainers who we've featured at Boss Step Bootcamp recently. Last week, you heard from Tiffany Ingram, who will also be at our Washington, D.C. Bootcamp this September. Today, you're going to hear from another fantastic woman who was featured at Boss Step Bootcamp. In Chicago, just a few weeks ago, her name is Michelle Morkert, and we are going to break down some of the interesting, I want to say political dynamics, but really moments in time and history and current events that we're experiencing right now when it comes to gender equality and feminism in these United States of America. We are less than a week out from Women's Equality Day coming up on August 26th, so next Monday, which is always a fun day to celebrate women and equality and all the hashtags. You'll see a bunch of graphics and everyone and their mother will be slapping a Women's Equality Day something on their product or service or have a sale for that But it's important to actually know what that holiday stands for. I'd say 9 out of 10 people who I ask really don't know what it's all about. When in reality, the August 26th celebration is commemorating the anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment, which happened back in 1920 and granted women the right to vote. Now there's a very long drawn out story about how that all went down. I actually did an episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You with Bridget Todd a couple of years back now about Women's Equality Day and told the whole dramatic story behind it. So if you're a history nerd and you want to geek out on that, I will drop a link to that old episode of mine. But this is a nuanced holiday. The women's suffrage movement has a long, and I would say complex and imperfect history when it comes to whitewashing, The quest for gender equality. A lot of women's suffragettes were racist as fuck, right? We're not the most inclusive bunch. So, on today's episode, I'm so thrilled to feature a professor of gender studies who's going to break down for us how we might feel about this holiday. And how this holiday might make us feel about the current state of affairs when it comes to gender equality, feminism, voting, and politics in the United States of America. I'm so thrilled to welcome to the Bossed Up podcast, Michelle Morkert, Ph.D. She is a professor, a Fulbright scholar, an educator, activist, and parent with specialized training in women's and gender studies, peace studies, gender-based violence, girls' leadership studies, and feminist coaching, and public speaking. Whew, that's a mouthful, but she has done a lot of homework to get herself here today. Now, in my opinion, one of Michelle's biggest superpowers is that she's learned to talk about gender with just about any audience, which is not an easy thing to do. She also knows firsthand about the effects of burnout, feminist fatigue, and vicarious trauma experienced by academics and activists working toward global gender justice. I am so thrilled to have her here to shed some light on the historical and political moment that we find ourselves in today and 99 years ago when women were first granted the constitutional right to vote. So, Michelle Morkert, welcome to the Boss podcast. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. It was such a delight to have you join us at Bossed Up Bootcamp in Chicago just the other weekend. What a great group. We had such a great group. Yeah, I loved, I was just so fired up leaving that weekend. I'm really looking forward to our next couple. And it it really is made by incredible trainer team members like yourself. So thank you again for being there.
1: It was a lot of fun to get to meet all the participants, they had such great questions. It it made it really informational for me too. I learned a lot from them.
0: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And one of my favorite parts of your introduction, when you got up and shared your story with our bosses, was that you call yourself a professional feminist. So tell us a little bit about your background and what that really means.
1: That is funny, right? This kind of like an inside joke in a way, because you can imagine that that can be taken quite differently by different audiences. So some people think, sure. Oh. She's a women's and gender studies professor. She must be a professional feminist, you know, and that seems like a negative thing, right? (laughs) And then others who are just dying to take the class or, you know, enjoy doing gender work. Like, how do you get to be a professional feminist for a living? I want to do that. So it just depends on the audience. It's a lot of fun. But I'm a professor. I teach women's and gender studies. I got my PhD from Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts and i've just you know had a great career so far about 15 years of speaking with audiences all around the world about different kinds of gender issues right i'm really interested in organizing and all the similarities that i think we have across all sorts of borders right i just think there's a lot that we can learn from each other that we're more alike than we are different and so that's my biggest research question these days
0: that's interesting i love how Your career and your research thus far has really taken you to different parts of the world, studying, right, conflict resolution and militarization as it relates to gender, but also different parts of our country. And frankly, you sometimes find yourself and correct me if I'm remembering this incorrectly, but you sometimes find yourself as the sole feminist voice at a relatively conservative university now. Is that correct?
1: that has happened. It happens frequently. But what I find is that people just need a little bit of education because when they hear the term feminist, right, in popular culture, it just means so many different things to so many different people. And, you know, I don't teach feminism 101. I teach women's and gender studies, right? So I have a whole discipline that I'm teaching and feminism does come up as a topic and students want to know what it means. And so, You know, we have these great conversations about, well, what are the definitions and how actually might you be doing some things in your life that some people would consider feminist that you might not? So I really think it's about building the bridges and just having some real conversations with people about how gender matters in their lives because no matter where they stand politically, gender matters to them. And so that's really a commonality that we all share. And so that's the best starting point for all of us.
0: That's awesome. I think that's such a superpower, being able to speak about gender to lots of different audiences. And I love that about your background. So today we are excited to have you on the show because we're coming right up against Women's Equality Day, which is August 26th every year. It celebrates the ratification of the 19th Amendment, which granted women the right to vote in these lovely United States. And we've come such a far way, right? We've come such a a far way since that happened um, back in what, 1920? Am I getting it right? Mm -hmm. Yep, 1920. So it's interesting. I would love to get your sort of meta-analysis given where we are today. I think there's a lot of, Despair out there Mm. in the feminist space, which I totally find myself in, you know, spiraling into that feminist despair cyclone on occasion, because there's reason to be upset. There's reason to be frustrated and concerned and on guard for our rights. Um, But my question for you is where do you see the overall gender equality quest, as it were? What do you think the suffragettes back in 1920 would be so thrilled to see today? And what else do you think might concern them?
1: That's a great question. When you look back at the suffrage movement, it lasted for over 50 years, right? I mean, women and some men were working on this for a really long time. So that's one of the key takeaways for me is don't give up sometimes it takes a while to make change and we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just might need to take a look at the people who've gone before us. And so I think something that our suffrage sisters would appreciate would be if we looked back a little bit more, right? Because we are inundated with a news cycle, you know, that's 24 seven and there's always breaking news, right? There's always an emergency of some kind that we need to pay attention to. And it's really easy to lose track of our focus and be distracted by putting out all the fires all over the place. And so I think that working together in community is one of the key takeaways that we can learn from our suffrage ancestors and also Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how best to stay focused, which means staying healthy, I think, too.
0: That's so interesting. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, I think we need to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of ourselves holistically. So we need to Analyze how we're thinking sometimes, you know, whether you're journaling or whatever it is that you're doing, that's not a luxury. That's actually activism, in my opinion. And I know you've said that before, too, right? It's that quiet <laughs> yeah. revolution. It's got to be a daily quiet revolution because uh, it's so easy to lose track of our thoughts and not be as intentional as we would like to yeah. be, not as productive as we would like to be. But it's also about finding community and engaging in communities that may be. A little bit further away from you or outside of your comfort zone, right? One of the big myths about the suffrage movement is that it was only white women that were working on this. And if we take a look historically at the information that the first suffragists, you know, drew from, they were looking at Native American women and they were looking at their leadership. And, you know, they did a lot of research on Native American women. They engaged with the communities. And so there were a lot of things happening in this country before the colonists came that I think informed some of the actions of the suffragists.
0: Well, wow. You just said so much. I have to like pause and, and break it down for a second. First of all, before we t- we get into like white feminism and suffragists, which I definitely want to talk about. I, I don't know if you heard me audibly gasp when you mentioned self-care as a radical act, but I love that so much. And I'm so thrilled to hear that's integrated into your feminism. And that's part of the reason why you presented on mindfulness and happiness at Boston Bootcamp. Camp. Right. Because you're right. We need to take the long view in in the quest for social justice has always been a long... I think it was MLK who said the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And we absolutely need to sustain ourselves and our activism and not get triggered by the news cycle every day right. to do that important work. So that's. I'll link to a couple of related episodes I've put out on that, which I am so glad you're, you're mentioning. The question I have around suffragists... Is I think people do have total rightful critiques of the women's suffrage movement in that it was often pitted against the anti slavery, right? The abolition movement. And I think historically feminism has been whitewashed in that the leaders of the suffrage movement were even, first of all, they were white, well off women, but second of all, they were split <laughs> on the issue of slavery. <laughs> And I believe they punted that issue as a way of saying, let's deal with that later. Let's really focus on gender. And I feel like historically, part of the reason white folks rightfully complain about quote unquote white feminism is because feminism as a movement has a history of leaving out brown and black women. I'm curious to hear more about the Native American inspiration, but would you agree with that overall assessment?
1: Yes. And in fact, toward the end of the suffrage movement, right? So the late 1890s and early 1900s, if you take a look at some of the writings and the speech transcripts, you will see how overtly racist the movement was because they started talking about enfranchising educated voters right there was a lot of language that was used that was code and you know we that it was overtly racist right so um enfranchising educated men or educated women had a lot to do with slavery
0: isn't it interesting how every civil rights movement not every but it seems like a lot of the early american story was always about rights that are inalienable but like only for some people. <laughs> That's such an American story that comes up over and over again. It's a tra- it's a sad one. It is. I see that echoing in 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 today's conversation around immigration, right? Like the American dream is strong unless you're brown and you came here as a refugee from another country. It's such a weird us versus them conflict that I think is is the tension that is very unique to the American story, because we are such a nation of immigrants, and we have such a troubling past when it comes to slavery and racism being baked into the American Constitution. Exactly. Interesting. So we've we've already taken this conversation in a very different place that I thought it would go, but I think it's important to acknowledge how when we celebrate women's equality day, let's know our history and let's know that we can be better, especially we white feminists, like we can do better in being explicitly intersectional and inclusive in our, how we practice our activism every day.
1: Right. And I think one of the tensions for suffrage movement was all the issues that they were trying to grapple with at the same time. There were two wars right? That they, you know, that occurred while they were in the midst of this movement and they had to figure out how they were going to um, mobilize during wartime. They were concerned with property ownership because that was built into in some of the states. You could only vote if you were a property owner. Well, what about the fact that women couldn't own property? And then which women could own property or which men could own property? They were concerned about taxes and religion and clothing styles, you know, alcohol, right? I mean, there was there were a lot of other issues. And so it was very difficult for them, I think, to figure out how to create this umbrella and do it all. And, um, you know, a lot of people had a lot of different ideas.
0: Yeah, it does remind me of today's social justice warriors, you know, in a way. There's so many different issues that are calling for our attention at this time. And I think, you know, as the 2020 election starts to ramp up, one thing I am frustrated by, and this I think this came up when a family member of mine posted something about Megan Rapino. Why are we celebrating her instead of celebrating our troops? And I was like, whoa, mm. whoa, whoa, whoa. That was like this desire to divide us based on the issues we deem important. When Francesca Ramsey, who's written this excellent book that's an A great primer for activists called Well That Escalated Quickly. She reminds us that we are multifaceted people. We can care about multiple issues at once. Our focus on Black Lives Matter, for instance, does not threaten or need to threaten everyone's life, right? So I think it needs to be. We need to be inclusive in a way that can be uncomfortable sometimes by acknowledging I can care about climate change while I care about immigration. I can care about gender equality while I care about racial equality. And trying to listen actively as we have those conversations is so hard to be called out or called in to expand our approach. But I think that's part of the practice of feminism, right? Right.
1: I think so too. Like you said, we can do a lot of things at one time and we can care about a lot of things at one time. And it's not caring about one thing at the expense of something else. That's just a false argument. And as soon as we set up an other, we know we're in trouble. And uh, you know, as soon as we stop looking for the commonality and the opportunity to have the conversations, then we know that we're alienating certain people or we're devaluing certain people. And so I'm always cautioning that When we're working on issues of equality, we have to, you know, look for the allies in a lot of different places. And we have to keep trying to build bridges to have helpful conversations, because isn't that what we want? We want to disrupt the misinformation. Staying in your silo and othering people is not going to do that. It's just going to reinforce those. (laughs) But Michelle,
0: that's so hard. (laughs) It is really hard. I feel like- the cancel culture nowadays, it makes it so much easier to say that person is trash, done, dispose of them. You know, I feel like we're entering this new era. I think maybe maybe in part spurred on by the Me Too movement where certain men who were taken out in that movement are now writing their own comeback narrative. And whether or not we show people... I don't want to say the grace or give them grace in evolving is such an uncomfortable thing. You know, like how do you make space for people with whom you might disagree to evolve and to converse and to be a part of that conversation? What does that look like on college campuses? I wonder.
1: Right. I think that we do allow space for personal evolution, but that doesn't necessarily minimize the consequences of their actions. But then those people can certainly be spokespeople who can come out and talk about their own transformation. And I think we do need those kinds of stories. Right. And so I don't think it's othering when we call out you know, inappropriate behavior, uh, sexual assault, and those kinds of things. It's important for us to do. But, um, you know, maybe there are people who have transformed their lives and want to have an opportunity to talk about that. Then we need to figure out who their audience is, right? Yeah. Maybe the audience isn't the people against whom they perpetrated the offense. Maybe their audience is against others who are in the same situation. I made a Film not that long ago, for an organization in Poland, and I was talking about Title IX and how I have hope for change because if men get involved in trying to disrupt sexual assault and, you know, some of the gender-based violence, we can solve this problem because that's what they need, right? They need to see people like them having the conversations, making themselves vulnerable and talking about their own experiences and what they would do differently. We need that kind of education because we can't have women who have survived assault educating everybody, you know. <laughs> that's right. That's not how it works.
0: It's so true. It's a good reminder that the victims of injustice should not be shouldering the burden of educating us about their their experiences and like shouldn't have to be sharing our stories as brave as it is we shouldn't have to do that to be seen as human so right yeah i think that's a really interesting concept it's hard it's hard in our in our silos like you mentioned you know we all live in these virtual bubbles especially where we're surrounded by so many folks who agree with us it's so much easier to unfollow people who don't agree with you than to engage. And I think it goes back to self-care, right? We have to decide when do I need to not engage for the sake of my own sanity? And when do I want to fight the good fight and put my, you know, put that conversation out there and, and, and engage in the conversation of empathizing with people who, with whom I might disagree.
1: Exactly. You just read my mind. I was going to say the same exact thing. We have to be really focused on our thinking and our goals and our feelings to determine which conversations to have and which are healthy, which are productive, and which are not, because we can't do it all. That's the other issue, right? Is we think we have to. Right have every conversation and engage every single time on social media, in person, in public lectures. And that's just not the case. Right. And if we're doing that, we're not practicing self-care, which Audre Lorde said is totally necessary. And, you know, political act. Right.
0: Right. A radical act. Right. I love that language from Audre Lorde, who's a, a radical herself. She was a black queer poet operating in a world that didn't always accept her for who she was so it just goes to show you that taking care of yourself in a world that others you is in fact an a political act so oftentimes on this show i focus on professional and personal development and then i throw in some experiences that i've had as an organizer as a political activist as a citizen activist now in my new home state of colorado and folks are interested in how to get involved. Like, how do you begin activism? How? Do, what does that look like? Is it marching? Is it tweeting? You know, what does that look like? And I think more often than I mean to, I almost separate those categories in my mind. Like, here's some professional advice and here's some activist advice. Where do you think there might be opportunities for overlap? And And what does it look like to be an everyday feminist or everyday activist in our personal and professional lives.
1: Right. I think that there is a connection, right? Because we are our full selves in all of our situations. And so when I go back to thinking about human rights and gender and human rights and those intersections, I encourage people to not take conversations about rights as necessarily adversarial. In the workplace, for example, right? If something happens and you think it's a violation of your workplace rights, you could go in and you could talk to human resources, but it doesn't have to be an adversarial thing. In fact, it can be quite empowering, right? So educating ourselves on our rights and our options is positive. And the more we can talk about that, I think the Healthier it is for us as individuals and then for our organizations or our communities. I think getting educated is key. And then that, so that's personal, right? That's individual. A lot of times is getting educated and then stepping out from there and asking questions and just getting curious. I know I talked about that this weekend, but this notion yeah. of curiosity is so key to the way I do pretty much everything in life, right? I I get curious about what I'm thinking, or I get curious about someone's motives, or I get curious about the laws. I wonder about the history of the laws, right? And I think that helps me to stay engaged, but not negative, not judgmental.
0: Someone at Boston Bootcamp in the past said something that I thought was so interesting and actually came up during our assertive communication Workshop in the morning, she said, get curious, not furious, which is a total act of mindfulness, right? It's practicing that non-judgmental awareness of wow, you know, I feel violated in this moment. Let's find out why. You know, what's going on? Why do I feel so triggered? Why do why am I reacting this way? What is going on with them? And kind of detaching yourself in the Buddhist sense a little bit. Of not being subjected to that moment, but actually trying to see it from a bird's eye view above, you know, what's happening here? How can I react in a way that would make me feel empowered while remaining open to and curious about this other person? One of the most effective and most assertive responses that I try to remember in those moments myself is just the very powerful question of why do you feel that way? So when someone says something totally whack or totally racist, misogynistic, whatever you want to insert there, you know, biased against you or someone else, just asking them, well, what do you mean by that? (laughs) Like, why is that joke funny to you? You know, literally asking that open-ended question can be such an assertive move in
1: real time. Definitely. And think of the different use of your energy, too, in asking those questions. Instead of getting furious, it's full steam ahead. You've taken on their thought as true or your own reality, and it's not. So you don't have to take that on. And if you are curious and you want to ask, go for it. And if not, you don't have to, right, because we can set those boundaries for ourselves.
0: That's so interesting. It's like you can say, oh, that is their truth but that is not my truth. And this is such an interesting practice of mindfulness meeting assertiveness. And in a world that has so many microaggressions, especially for women of color who just run up against so many or just anyone living at the intersection of different kinds of bias based on ability, age, gender identity, sexual orientation, you name it, right? Those microaggressions can really add up and chip away at your sense of self. So taking your power back might be as simple as starting with that truth might be theirs, but it is not mine.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I can remember a conversation I had with some students one time. I think they were hearing some criticism about taking a gender course or somebody – assumed that they were a feminist, which I think in this case was supposed to be a negative thing, right? And they were like, how do we even respond to that? I don't know what to do. And, you know, they're 18 or 19 years old, and this is new to them. So one of the um, conversation starters then came from a text by Amy Richards and Jennifer Baumgartner, and they suggested that someone say, oh, well, which feminists are you referring to? like I hate feminists, for example, or feminists are man-haters, right? Right. Just ask the question, well, who are you referring to? Because there's a lot of feminists out there and they're all pretty different, right? And so just trying to get some information and maybe it helps the other person to just take a look at their statement and their sentiment and realize it's a little more nuanced than that. I
0: love that. I think questions can be some of the most assertive responses we need. Honestly, just like putting it back on them Flowing that energy right back to them and saying, explain, please, <laughs> is a way to create mindfulness for others. I love it. Well, I want to bring us back briefly to the concept of Equality Day, since it is coming up very quickly here. You know, I was looking into this research recently done by Rutgers University, and it shows that US women are actually using our right to vote even more so than men. So, among eligible voters, women are more likely to register and vote than amongst eligible men voters and that gives that gives me a lot of hope about our elections about our decisions that we're making there's a lot of reasons to despair that i think we could dwell upon but my question instead is what about today 2019 gender equality on the whole like what gives you the most hope from a professional feminist standpoint
1: well, I think the fact that I see a lot more diversity in the public sphere in terms of leadership, that gives me a lot of hope because there's that sentiment that you can't be what you can't see, right? That sometimes we need role models, um, people who look like us, sound like us, come from where we come from, out there being a role model for us. And I I think if you look in the world of politics, for example, you see A much more diverse Congress than we've ever seen before. You take a look at the candidates right now, right? The Democrats running—it's a pretty diverse group, and we've never seen anything like that before. And so, when I think about equality and I think about gender equality, that is helpful. I think that gives me the most hope. Yeah, because I think there's a whole lot of people out there who recognize that some people get them. They understand their issues and their concerns, and that's important in a country like the United States, right? It's what we're founded on.
0: I love that. I think it's such a difference from 2016, where it was like, there's this one woman running for president and gender became such a salient factor in that race that left me feeling quite depressed, obviously, in case that's not completely obvious to everyone listening. And then this year, obviously, we're really just talking about the Democratic side of things because there's no real challenge on the right, but the fact that we have so many women running gives me hope that like you're saying they're so different everybody on that debate stage is so different but especially the women if you if you just look at the women running they are so different that maybe this year gender ceases to be this huge identifier or salient factor. And instead we can look at women as humans
1: (laughs) who have lots of diversity amongst ourselves as well. Right. And, and issues, right. And the political issues that matter to all people, because sometimes we think gender and we only think women, but we don't have the kinds of conversations we need to have about masculinity as well. And so when we see male candidates talking about, you know, issues specifically relating to women, that can be really what's the word I'm trying to think of? I don't know that I want to say inspiring, but it's helpful, right? Because it shows me that that person may be able to speak to some issues that are not from his lived experience. And- you know, we need to see that too, right? We need everybody to get educated about gender and intersectional right. theory. I mean, it, it's all of us. We're all gendered, right? And um, we don't tend to talk about masculinity as much. And so when I hear those kinds of conversations um, on the debate stage, I feel quite encouraged by that because we've seen male allies throughout time for yeah. suffrage and all sorts of other issues. And um, while they're not you know the main actors their work is important and that's something we need to continue today looking at that political leadership i see some hope for our country there for sure
0: absolutely i love it well michelle this has been such an interesting conversation i feel like we're taking the the temperature of feminism and equality you know since 1920 since the ratification of the 19th Amendment on today's episode, and it's been so enlightening and inspiring. Are there any last words of wisdom or advice or thoughts that you want to challenge today's audience listening to this to do as they look forward to being a part of the quest for gender equality from here on out?
1: Well, one of the pieces of information that I want to share that I think is so crucial that I didn't even fully understand until you know, I was a doctoral student, is that women voted early in this country and their votes were taken away. See, we talk about the 19th Amendment as women gaining the right to vote, but what we don't see is that, you know, Virginia and Pennsylvania and a whole bunch of the other colonies allowed voting universal suffrage until they drafted new state constitutions that added the word male or added the word property the words property owners in there. And then from there, all of a sudden things changed. And and so I think it's important for us to just remember our past and keep an eye on what's happening right now, you know, being involved politically yes. in our national and state elections and paying really close attention because you know, a a right that we have today may not be a right that we have in 15 years. I'm not sure what that looks like. But, you know, that's how the process works. Oh, my goodness. You know, looking at those people who mobilized and how they mobilized is really inspiring. And it's just super helpful. It's like we have this primer, you know, if we just knew about it. And when I talk about suffrage in my classes, and we'll watch that kind of dated movie now, Iron Jawed Angels, Some of my students are so angry at the end, and I've come to anticipate this now. And I'm like, what's going on? Why are you angry? Because women couldn't vote. And they're like, no, because we never learned this. Why didn't we learn about suffrage in grade school, junior high, high school? We learned about other rights movements. We never learned about women being force fed or imprisoned or any of that. Why didn't we know women were the first entity to protest outside the White House in the history of this country? Why didn't we know that? And so it's a really good question. Why didn't we know that? But then the better question, well, maybe not better, equal and maybe simultaneous question is, so now that <laughs> we know, what do we do?
0: What do we do? Yeah. Well, if it's up to me, if, if, it's, if I get to answer that question, it's get involved on the state and federal level, and then let's run and let's rewrite these rules because all those curriculum decisions get made on the local level in our education boards, and you're right, women's women's history isn't considered part of American history, and that is whack. Yeah, I'll leave it at
1: that. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I don't have
0: anything. Well, I also want to just underscore what you just said about offense and defense, right? So many of our rights that are hard fought and won are now under attack. And that's happened in the past. And I think the most pressing issue area where I see that happening right now is when it comes to women's reproductive rights. I was just reading Nicholas Kristof's most recent, actually it's not most recent, now it's about three weeks old, opinion in the New York Times titled, Why Attack Women? And he took the time out of his array of issues that he writes about to just devote this one column to the Trump administration's new regulations that are immediately making it more hard, more difficult, and almost impossible for women to get reproductive care, not just abortion access, although that's very important, but also birth control access, affordable access to birth control, which helps prevent abortions overall. And so I highly recommend reading that for anyone interested and and concerned and, and, and looking to take action on that. I'll link to it in today's show notes. But you're so right that our right to vote was hard fought and won and then repealed and fought against and we have to stay vigilant on every one of these fronts
1: right definitely so stay educated or get educated whatever that looks like because there's free education there's courses that you can take there's all sorts of ways but I would encourage people to learn about our past and then figure out how is that connecting with you know all the information that we know about what's happening today because it definitely connects
0: I love it, Michelle. And for those who want to keep up with you, we will absolutely link to your wonderful website, MichelleMorker.com. Anything else that you want folks to know about how to keep up with you?
1: So check out my website. I've got a blog on there, and I did write about women's equality and suffrage not long ago. So you can check that out for more information about some of the historical aspects of voting and when women lost the right to vote in certain areas of the country and then regained it ultimately in 1920. Yeah. So check that out.
0: Awesome. I will link to that as well. And ladies, if you're listening, make sure you are registered to vote, make sure you are informed, make sure we're paying attention. sounds like most women have that on lock. So let's get our, our male allies in our lives on lock as well. (laughs) Just do the paperwork, get registered, get ready to vote and get engaged this cycle because we need to hear your voices and your voice, Michelle, has been such a delight to hear from today. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It was fun. I appreciate it.
0: If you'd like to read more about the articles and resources that we referenced throughout our conversation today, head over to bossedup.org slash episode 150 to find lots more resources and connect with Michelle directly there. And now it's time for today's boss move moment of the week. But before we dive in, I want to give a little context for our fantastic boss move that was called in this week, which really made me giddy because it was all about one of my favorite strategies that I'm constantly talking about here at Boss Up on a whole bunch of different podcast episodes and blog posts that I've written in the past. And it's all about the bump up. Now, maybe you've heard me talk about this before, but if not... The bump up is my term for how to get on a busy person's calendar or how to get someone to reply to an email of yours by never letting a lack of response slow your roll. If someone doesn't respond to you at first, wait a couple of days and then bump it up for them by just replying on the same thread reducing your signature as little as possible. So really all you're adding is one little line of text above your original email and saying, hey, just wanted to bump this up for you in case it got lost in the shuffle. And I talk about it in detail in this blog post that I'll link to in today's show notes, all about how to master the art of the follow-up email. And the key with the bump up is to keep doing it as much as you need to until you get a response. Maybe you'll bump it up for someone three times before calling it quits, maybe five times before calling it quits. I currently have this one person who is kind of a VIP who, when I met with him in person, was very excited to talk with me about future collaborations. And it's been a month and a half now, and I haven't been able to get a response from him yet. And I'm not taking it personally because I'm sure his inbox is inundated with these kinds of requests all the time. And I'm also not going to allow a lack of response to slow my roll. So I'm going to keep bumping these emails up like once a month if I need to until I hear back. So Today's boss move, just to give a little bit of context, has to do with the bump up, and I am so thrilled to hear from today's caller. Take a listen.
1: Hello, my name is Hannah, and I am a student in the nation's capital. I just wanted to call to let you know that the bump works. To be perfectly honest, I was very skeptical, and I had done it a few times and it had not worked, but I just in the last hour got an email. Like thanking me for bumping an email, a networking email to someone who I had reached out to a few times. They admitted that it just gotten lost in their inbox and they were so glad that I connected with them. So, thank you for that boss tip, Emily. Thank you so much for the pod. And yeah, thanks. Bye.
0: Yes, boss, I am cheering you on. Way to make the bump up work for you. And thank you for calling it in because. Honestly y'all, when I hear that you're putting the lessons that I share on the podcast or on the Boss Up blog to use in your life to great success, it keeps me fueled. It keeps me creating this content for you and it really lifts my spirits and it's just such a beautiful way for us all to cheer you on. So congratulations, boss. Thanks for calling your boss move in. If you have a boss move or a career conundrum you want to share so that I can create more episodes and more content around answering your most pressing career conundrums, call them into the podcast hotline now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And I am so excited to see many of you in just about a month's time, actually, just over a month, I should say, in dc for our final east coast bossed up boot camp of the year you'll meet incredible featured trainers like michelle you'll work directly with me to not just get clear on where you want to take your career and life next but also gain some new tools across a holistic array of topics we cover from assertive communication and negotiation to the topic michelle presented on in chicago mindfulness and happiness we'll tackle love and relationships we'll tackle wellness and money all in one intensive workshop weekend designed to accelerate your career and life. Register now at bossuporg slash bootcamp and grab your boss besties to get them to join you there. If you have any questions at all, don't hesitate to tweet me, Instagram me, email me, because y'all know I love an email over a DM, <laughs> your questions, and I will happily answer uh, anything that I can I can answer to help get you to Boston Bootcamp if that's the place you need to be. And as I've mentioned on recent episodes, we're already over half sold out. So don't delay, register today, and I hope to get bossing with you IRL. In the meantime, if you found this conversation timely and interesting and educational and helpful, go ahead and take a moment to share it on social media now, and tag me at Emily Aries or at org so I can help amplify your voice online too. Thank you, as always, for listening, for sharing, for contributing to this podcast. Let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose, and together we will lift as we climb.